You're listening to Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel, Las Vegas. This is where real faith meets real change. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music to get instant notifications when new episodes are available to download or stream. You can also check out our website, praisechapellasvegas.com, to check out some more information about us and see what's going on this month on our events calendar. Lastly, follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas. With that being said, listen up, because here comes the word. So appreciate that. Thank you, Pastor uh, Art and Maria, amen, for having us. Amen. It's a blessing. And uh, so let's just pray. Let's go before the Lord while you're already standing. I want you to close your eyes with me. I always tell people to do this so you can give God your undivided attention. And I want you to lift your hands right now as a sign of surrenderance. <clears throat> Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Almighty God. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning, God, and we want to say thank you, Lord. For just another opportunity to come together in your house and to worship you. God, we sense your presence in this place, God. And as our brother declared, God, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we declare that there is freedom in this place, God. And I pray that, God, as your word goes forth today, that, Lord, it would not be something that just uh, imparts head knowledge, God. But that there is an impartation with text place from revelation knowledge. I pray over everyone the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you, God. Let the eyes of everyone's understanding be enlightened and give everyone ears to hear what your spirit is saying to them personally. And Lord, I confess my uttermost dependency upon you. For I know that, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing, but through you, I can do all things. And so I receive the wisdom and the words to speak today. You know what needs to be said and what doesn't need to be said. And so I pray that I would be spirit-led in everything I'm to speak. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that I don't have to worry about what I'll say in this hour because you will give me the words to say. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And today, God, as I minister on grace, God, I pray, God, that it would impart faith, God, Lord, to everyone. I pray that there would be a real, real, real understanding about grace today, God. Because when we get a real understanding of it, It will transform our lives. I pray that this church today would be transformed by grace. Paul talked about preaching the gospel of grace in Acts 20. And I pray that today, as the gospel of grace goes forth, that it would bring liberation to your people. In Jesus' name. Amen? You may be seated. Praise the Lord. God is good. Hallelujah. Now today I'm going to be uh, doing a lot of teaching, amen, of God's word in the uh, area of grace, amen. And I tell you, if you really get this message in your spirit, it will transform your life. I promise you it will. And so the title of this message today is, He Did It All for Us, amen. Say that, He Did It All for Us. Tell your neighbor, He Did It All for You. Now, to understand grace, listen to me, to understand grace, we need to first consider who we were without Christ, okay? Now, look on the screen here. You'll see they'll have a PowerPoint for a lot of this, and, 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 and so to understand grace, we need to first consider who we are without Christ, who we were without Christ. Let me say it that way. 
We were born in sin, and we were guilty of breaking God's holy law. We were enemies of God, deserving of death. We were unrighteous and without means of justifying ourselves. Spiritually, we were blind, unclean, and dead. Our souls were in peril of everlasting punishment. Grace is defined, going to the next one, grace is defined this way. Unmerited favor or unconditional love. One man writes this, I'm just setting a foundation. One man writes this, grace is an essential part of God's character. Grace is closely related to God's benevolence, love, and mercy. Grace can be variously defined as God's favor toward the unworthy or God's benevolence of the undes- on the undeserving. In his grace, God is, uh, God is willing, listen to me, God is willing to forgive us and bless us abundantly in spite of the fact that we don't deserve to be treated so well or dealt with so generously. See, grace, simply put, is getting a gift you don't deserve. Hello, somebody. Grace is you're getting a gift that you do not deserve. Amen. Well, and see, what we all need to understand is we don't deserve, amen, uh, God's grace in any way. And we cannot earn it. If we could earn it, it would no longer be grace. Hello, somebody. If we could earn it, it would no longer be grace because, again, grace is getting a gift you don't deserve. Grace, listen to me, is completely unmerited. That means the gift and the act of God giving it to us has nothing to do with our merits. We got to get this in our spirits. See, the truth is this. What we deserve, listen to me, what we do deserve is his judgment. What we do deserve is his wrath. What we do deserve is hell. That's the truth. Hello, somebody. That's what we do deserve. Listen to me. We deserve the wrath of God. And the more you realize that, the more you will appreciate the grace that God has had upon your life. See, the more you understand that you really, what you really deserve, you'll appreciate what you don't deserve. Oh, hello, somebody. Now, the subject of grace is one that is talked about a lot in the body of Christ, which it should be because we're saved by it. Hello. You know, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, look on the screen here. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is what? The gift of God. Not of works, least anyone should boast. I like how the New Living Translation says the last part of it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. One man writes this. Those who believe this, that Jesus Christ, God's son, died and paid for their sins, are saved by grace, God's undeserved gift to us. Hence, we are saved By grace through faith. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins but made alive in Christ. 
having thus made peace with God by accepting Jesus Christ for our lives, we therefore have eternal life with God. Amen? <clears throat> now, the Bible repeatedly calls grace a gift. Okay? Now, I, I like to teach with this uh, PowerPoint and everything because this, it gives you guys a visual and you can read along and so it sinks into your spirit. I want, you, I want these truths to be branded in your spirit. So when, I, when, when they flash these PowerPoints up there, I want you to read, 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 it, read it inside too. <clears throat> now, the Bible repeatedly calls grace a gift. This is important, an important analogy because it, it teaches us some key things about grace. Number one, first, anyone who has ever received a gift understands that their gift is much different from a loan. Which requires repayment or return by the recipient. The fact that grace is a gift, go back, the fact that grace is a gift means that nothing is owed in return. You got to catch that. Number two. Second, there is no cost to the person who receives a gift. If you have to pay for a gift, it's no longer a gift. A purse, a gift is free to the receptive, although it is not free to the giver who bears the expense. The gift of salvation costs us sinners nothing. But the price of such an extravagant gift came at a great cost for our Lord Jesus who died in our place. So you're understanding this. Number three. Once a gift has been given, ownership of the gift has been transferred and it is now ours to keep. This is a permanence in a gift that does not exist with loans or advances. When a gift changes hands, the, uh, the giver permanently relinquishes all rights to, the, uh, 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 to renege or take back the gift in future. God's grace is ours forever. Number four. In the giving of the gift, the giver voluntarily forfeits something he owns, willingly losing what belongs to him so that the receptive will profit from it. The giver becomes poorer, so the receptive becomes richer. The generous and voluntary exchange from the giver to the receptive is visible in 2 Corinthians 2, 8 and 9. For you know the grace. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become what? Rich. Are you getting this? See, if you get this in your spirit, it will transform your life. Amen? Now, their teaching of grace, I hate to say this, it gets polluted. <laughs> It gets polluted from two sides. Listen real quickly. Number one, uh, one side of grace is grace. Okay? Because grace runs uh, uh, counter to the way the world works, it makes it hard for us to grasp it and really understand it and really believe it. It almost seems, amen, when you really study what the Bible teaches about grace, it almost seems too good to be true. What do I mean by this? Well, the world works on the merit system. If you do well in school, you get good grades and win awards. If you do well in sports, you make the team and, and get a lot of applause. In the business world, 
Amen. Exceptional performance earns promotion and raises versus sloppy performances will get you fired. In the spiritual realm, all the world religions except for biblical Christianity work on the merit system. You know, you think about this. Ask anyone on the streets, you know, their opinion of how a person gets to heaven. They'll say, you know, just be a good person. Do enough good deeds. And then you ask them, hey, are you going to heaven? Well, yeah, I'm not that bad. My good outweighs my bad. And they're basing their, uh, their, their, their way to heaven based on their works. So hear what I'm saying. That already in 2, verse 9, in the New Living Translation, it says, for you know the grace of our Lord, for, for salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Amen? We can't boast about it. It's not something we can earn. But this is the mindset of the world that you have to, you, if you're good enough, then you'll get in. Right or wrong. But that's not biblical Christianity. Listen to me. Christianity is different from all other religions in that instead of us trying to work our way to God, with us. Oh, you got to catch you got to catch that. What separates Christianity, biblical Christianity, from all other different religions is, amen, uh, all the world religions, amen, is everyone trying to work their way to God. But in Christianity, God did all the work to be with us. Hallelujah. He did the work. So he gets the glory. See, I know him for many years personally. After knowing in my head, we are saved by grace, it was still hard for me to receive it. A lot of times, listen to me, I'm being honest with you. A lot of times I place my security of my salvation in my works, not his. Focusing on my works and strength to be holy and in right standing. Instead of knowing that I was holy and in right standing because of his work. Hello, somebody. It was the cross plus my works. Hello. It was the cross plus my works. And, and we can form this mentality, amen, uh, when, we're, when, we were, when we're raised in holiness churches. And that's, we, we need to preach holiness. You hear what I'm saying? But if you're not careful, you can almost, it can almost be like the cross plus my works. That makes me right. And lose sight of that. It's all his work, not yours. You got to get that. See, for me, it was, it was the cross plus my works, but that was legalism. Legalism, listen, look on the screen here. Legalism is rooted in trying to earn God's approval by my own good works. That's what legalism is. Is trying to get, earn God's approval by my own good works. But my works will never make me good enough. It's his work that does. Listen to me. Even on your best day, you're still going to fall short. I mean on your best day. Even on your best day, you're still going to fall short. So what does that mean? You're still in need of grace. 
Hear what I'm saying, friend? So that's one side of grace. We get, it gets twisted where it's grace. Yeah, I'll say by grace, but plus my works. And that's, that's not right. But again, we all fall short. But that does not mean that I can live however I want to. Look at this powerful verse that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6. Powerful. He said, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you, watch this, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Wow. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Look at the next, slip right here, next slider here. The Full Life Bible writes concerning this verse, Paul unquestionably believed that a believer could receive God's grace and experience salvation, and then afterwards, though, amen, spiritual, uh, 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 through, spiritual clean, uh, through spiritual carelessness or deliberate sin, abandon the faith and live a, a life of the gospel again be lost. Amen? So, we, see, we don't preach once saved, always saved. Amen? We must continue to abide in Christ. Amen? We need to abide in him. So again, Paul unquestionably believed that a believer could receive God's grace and experience salvation and afterwards through spiritual carelessness or deliberate sin abandon the faith and, uh, and life of the gospel and again be lost. Now this leads us to the other distorted view of grace. Because of grace, you can live however you want. This is not true. Look what Jude chapter four, Jude verse 4 says. Look at this. For certain individuals who have, whose condemnation, catch this verse. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. So he's talking about in the church. They are ungodly people, watch this, what? Who pervert the what? Grace. Of our God into what? A license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. This is the other side of grace. You just live however the heck you want. But the grace of God, amen, as these verses even seen back then, has been slipped in a false teaching that come in that perverted the truth of the gospel, that perverted the truth of the faith, and, amen, and, and, and people looked at it as a license. And unfortunately, that happened in the church. And a balanced grace message. See, the teaching of grace can be dangerously perverted by false teachers and by carnal people who believe that because they have been saved by grace, they may live as they please. But Paul warns against in, in, in two, it says, What's on in sin? Sinning means we are those who have died, and how can we live any longer in it? See, the truth is. Because of what's being taught by so many today, many professing Christians wrongly think that God's grace means that he gives out free pass that allow us to sin without consequences for our disobedience. That's not scripture. We call that greasy grace, sloppy agape. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now that was my intro, praise the Lord. It really was, to get to our text. See, I have to go to such depths to even break down things because it's such a distorted idea of grace. 
Now, our text today corrects both of these views, and our text today will be found in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. For the the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, grace teaching us, grace teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and a glorious appearing of our Lord, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that might, he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Speaking these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Now the first thing I want to look at from this text is that God's salvation, God's grace brings salvation to all people. As verse 11 in our text says, uh, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Because we can't save ourselves, God's grace had to bring salvation to us. Because we couldn't save ourselves, let me say it again, God's grace had to bring salvation to us. This salvation has appeared to us through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This salvation is for all who will receive it. Because there is a universal need, God provided a universal remedy for all who believe. That means no one is beyond the the reach of God's grace. No one. Now this, unfortunately, doesn't mean that all people will be saved. We all know the reality is that Some will reject Christ. There's a real heaven and there's a real hell. So unfortunately, some people will reject this amazing grace and end up in hell. But the good news is, of God's grace, he desires all to be saved. He desires all to be saved. How can I say that? Because the Bible says that. Look what 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6 says. Look on the screen there, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. It says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen to me. God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, but the only way all people can come to the knowledge of the truth is if we, the church, preach the gospel. How shall they hear without what? A preacher. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So God needs you to preach the gospel to them. So who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Listen to me. No sinner is beyond the grace of God. Listen, he died for all sin. Oh, hello, somebody. He, he, he didn't say, yeah, we die, but now that one. That one's too off the hook, amen? You too wild. You too sinful. You too much. No, no, he all. That means that all can be forgiven. That, that sin that you feel like you can never be forgiven from hell. He paid for your freedom. He paid for your forgiveness. Watch this. The, 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 the Bible gives us the apostle Paul who, was, who called himself the chief of sinners. He used to, yeah, man, put Christians, to, uh, he would have them arrested, have them put to death. He would, he would try, in his own words, he said he tried to do everything he could to destroy the church of God. That was his number, that was his, that was his passion, to destroy the church. 
That's why he, he was public enemy number one. And think about this. If anyone deserved to be swallowed up, if anyone deserved to have a lightning bolt thrown at him, amen, it would have been him. But what do we know happened, amen, uh, on, his, on, on the road of Damascus, amen, on his way to persecute the church. Jesus appeared to him to not destroy him but to save him. Amen. And look what Paul writes because he experienced and he tasted the grace of God. He experienced the mercy of God. Look what he wrote in 1 Timothy 1, 13-15. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. Mercy is you're not getting what you do deserve. He deserved death. He deserved judgment. But he realized he obtained mercy. He was getting, he didn't get what he deserved. Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace, oh, that word, I'm going to tell you, I want that word to come so alive to you. That every time you read it now, it's just going to just, just bam in your spirit. Every time you read it, grace, grace, whoa. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith. And love which are in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying. And he's saying this from the depths of his being. And worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said, man. <laughs> he's saying that with conviction, man. And he say, Amen. See, if the chief of sinners found grace and mercy, so can you. The biggest hindrance that keeps people from experiencing God's grace and salvation is self-righteousness. A person who thinks, amen, uh, they, uh, they don't need salvation. See, a person won't think they need salvation unless they know they're first lost. This is why we have to preach the full gospel. A person needs to know they're lost before they can be found. A person needs to know they're lost before they can appreciate what Jesus has done for them. If you think that you're just fine on your own or that you just got to do, you know, a little bit more works to make it to heaven and you're in self-righteousness, then you won't cry out for a Savior. You won't cry out for him. Jesus said in Luke 5, 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. By, by righteous in this text here, in the context, amen, uh, Jesus meant the self-righteous. He was talking about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were self-righteous. They didn't feel they had a need of a Savior. Or they didn't feel they had a need for Jesus. But those that you read about in the gospel who recognize Christ... And they know they needed a Savior. They ran to him. And they asked him to have mercy. And they found forgiveness. See, I want to stress this. You will not appreciate the cross until you really understand who you were without him. You won't. It won't, it won't impact your life. It won't transform your life. You won't be transformed by grace until you understand really the abundant grace he had on you. Let me give you an example. Say you were in, it was Friday. Just got off a hard, long day of work. And you're at the bank. 
and you've been in line for like 15 minutes. Wanting to cash your check. You ain't got no money, but you're ready to cash your check. You're hungry, you want to get some tacos, you just want to get up out of there. All of a sudden, you're next in line. And all of a sudden, I run over there, I'm like, bro, come on, let's get out of here, let's go, let's go. And I drag him out of church, I mean, drag him out of the bank. We get out of the bank, and he's like, man, pastor, what's up with you? I've been waiting for like 15 minutes, I got no money in the bank, amen. I need to get cash my check, amen. He's mad, he's angry that I took him out, I ripped his shirt. Raider shirt. Right? He's all mad. He's angry. Like, man, what's up, pastor? You know, his flesh side's starting to come out. He's angry. But then, all of a sudden, he found out at the moment we left the building, there were some terrorists that went inside. And they shot and killed everyone. Now, his attitude of anger turns into an attitude of gratitude. Because he was rescued. In his lack of understanding, he was angry. Like, why would you drag me out? But when he had full understanding, there was appreciation for being rescued. And therefore, for the rest of his life, he'd be saying, man, thank you, Pastor Ralph. Every time I come preach in Las Vegas, man, remember that time? Remember that time? You know what I'm saying? I know you ripped my shirt, but I'm okay with that. Amen. Here's the point. If you just say, hey, man, you know, God bless you. Jesus loves you. Come pray a prayer with me. Like, oh, what does that mean? Okay, whatever. But if you help a person understand, amen, their true condition, that the wrath of God abides upon them, that they're lost, amen, and that without Christ, amen, only hell awaits them, and they understand this, amen, and then you bring to them the message of hope that guess what, though, friend, though you are headed for hell, Jesus, amen, stepped in, he died on the cross for your sins, he paid the price in full so that you can be forgiven. Then you'll be like, wow, thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. I give you my life. You see the difference? You see the difference? So again, you won't appreciate the grace of God until you first know the condition you were in before you met Christ. Can you say amen? See, before you can appreciate God's grace, you need to know that you were justly under the wrath and condemnation headed straight from hell, headed straight to hell. But Jesus intervened. Can you say amen? Let's move on here. God's grace trains or teaches us who, we, who, who are saved in godliness. Watch this. Look at Titus 2, 11, 12 says. I'm reading this from the Amplified, so I want this to really jump out at you. For the remarkable undeserved, I mean, the remarkable 
undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches what? Grace teaches us. It teaches us what? It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives. Lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age. Amen? One man writes this, the same grace that redeems us also reforms our lives and makes us godly. Teaching has the idea of disciplining. We are disciplined by God's grace, trained to be the kind of people that glorify him. Paul mentions in this text three ways that grace trains and teaches us. Number one, grace trains and teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly lusts. When you experience, listen to me, when you experience and get a revelation, a real revelation of God's unmerited favor in Jesus Christ, it motivates you to want to please him in everything that you do, to live a life of worship for the glory of God. Let me show you. There's a couple of verses. Colossians 3.17. I love these verses, two verses. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When you get a revelation of the grace of God in your heart, now I'm not talking about intellect knowledge, because I told you before, I had intellect knowledge. I can quote the scripture. I could talk about it in Greek. I can, you know, have a Bible study about it. You know, I can have the, you know, you know what I'm saying here? I knew it here. And still, I, if I, I can quote it, I can teach about it, it was still grace plus my works. Hello? But when you get a revelation of the grace of God, what he did, what he really, really did for you and me personally, and your heart is filled with that, man, you have a desire to bring glory to God in all you do. Not because you're trying to gain his approval, but simply in response to what he has done and is doing for you. Oh, hello, somebody. Listen to me. I, I, do these, I do what I do not to try to gain my approval. I'm already approved by what he's done. I do these things in response to a revelation of what he's done for me. And because I know what he's done for me, I want to live for him. I want to please him. I want to serve him. Amen? So, it's, it's so, so therefore my life now becomes a life of worship. Not of trying to gain his approval because I'm already approved. Now it's just simply a response of an attitude of gratitude. Thank you, Lord. How can I give you anything less than my best when you gave your best? Come on, you got to get this. You'll want to turn from those things that you know that don't please him. You won't want those things to be a part of your life. When you experience the grace of God, when you have a revelation of the grace of God, you won't want to play with sin. You won't want to do the things that displease him. But instead, you will desire, amen, to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Why? When you, when you really love someone, you like pleasing them. And pleasing them makes you happy. I like pleasing my wife. It's not a burden for me to please my wife. I love my wife. Amen? 1 John 4, 19 says we love him because he 
first loved us. Luke 7, 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. This verse is basically saying, he who realizes they've been forgiven much will love much. <clears throat> Those who realize they've been forgiven much will love much. See, the greater your revelation is of the cross, the greater your revelation is of the love that God shined on you, the more you'll love them back. <clears throat> you know why people lose their fire? You know what? Let me just throw this out there. You know why people lose the fire of God in their life? It's because the cross becomes common. Oh, yeah. The cross becomes common. Oh, yeah. Jesus died for me on the cross. I got the t-shirt, I got the stick. Right? See, the greater you've been forgiven, the more you will love him, and the greater your desire will not come through unfaithfulness. Think about it. You're the most faithful and committed to those you love. Okay, <clears throat> let me give you an example like this. Let me give you an extreme example. If I'm here saying to my wife, I love you, but I'm over here with, you know, uh, Sister Shapes over here, you know what I'm saying? And I'm over here, you know, messing around. Right? I love you, but I'm over here committing adultery. I love you, you know what I'm saying, but I'm over here committing adultery. I love you, I'm over here committing adultery. I love you. Those are just words. Those are just words. And too many times we're saying, I love you, Jesus, but we're committing adultery with the world. I love you, Jesus. But we're sleeping with the devil. So are you just giving them your lips? Jesus said they honor me with their lips, but their what? Their hearts are what? I'm just giving you the Bible. I'm preaching grace. It's the grace message. <clears throat> See, what's happening is this is the true grace message. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, look what he says in John 14, 15. If you really love me, you will keep and obey my commandments. Proof of your love is commitment. Proof of your love is obedience. Proof of your love is faithfulness. Amen? The reality is, people love self more than they love God. They love God, but they love self more. How can I say it? Well, when it comes down to it, oh, I really want to do it or do I want to obey God? I really want to do it. All right, I'll, I'll move on. I'll move on. <clears throat> See, the point I'm trying to make is the person who has tasted God's grace will say no through the strength of God to godless living and worldly lusts. Amen? I got to move on. I got to move on because of time right now. You guys getting something? Okay. Number two. It's number two on grace, right? And the trains it. Grace, grace trains us to live uh, sensible and upright and godly lives, lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age. Now, 
It's not enough to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires. You must also say yes to sensible, righteous, and godly living. In this present age, we as Christians are to live sensible, righteous, and godly lives. One man writes, sensible refers to you, you uh, sensible refers to how you are to control yourself. Righteously refers, it has reference to your relationship with others. And godly refers to your relationship towards God. Third, God's grace trains us to, to, to live in godliness by looking ahead and behind. Look what Titus 2, 13 and 14 says. Watch this. Powerful. <clears throat> Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself his own special people zealous for good works. Amen. So the forward look is to the second coming of Christ. Amen? And the backward look is toward the cross and its implications in our lives. God's grace instructs us to look, in verse 13, for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to me. <clears throat> Christ's first appearing was in grace, bringing salvation during his first coming. His glory was mostly veiled. But his second coming will be, will be <clears throat> in glory, bringing salvation in uh, to bringing salvation to his people, but terrifying judgment to those who have not believed in him. <clears throat> his second coming is a blessed hope for those who know him because they then will fully experience all the blessings of his salvation. Listen to me, this is powerful. If your focus is set on the hope of Christ's return, you will purify your life from every evil thing. Watch this. Look at 1 John 3. Watch this. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we should be like him. For we shall see him as he is. He's talking about his coming. Now watch this. Look what happens when you look forward to his coming. And everyone who has this hope in him, what? Purifies himself. Just as he is pure. <clears throat> Jesus is coming, church. And if you really believe that, it will affect the way you live. If you really believe Jesus is coming, it will affect the way you live. Let me say it like this. If you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow at 5 p.m., 5 p.m., how would that affect the way you live today? If you knew, I mean, Jesus is coming at 5 o'clock tomorrow, at 5 p.m. tomorrow, what are some of the things you're going to cut out of your life today? Who are you going to forgive? Who are you going to, you know, go out and preach to? How is it going to change your life? How is it going to affect the way you live? Are you living that way? Or are you living, yeah, he's coming, but don't really believe it. If you read 2 Peter, man, it talks about they're mocking. Where is the coming of the Lord? The Bible talks about in the last days there will be scoffers. Where is this coming? Where is this coming? Where is this coming? Then verse 9 tells us that he's not slack concerning his promise, talking about the promise of his coming, but his long-suffering towards us, not one that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason he ain't come back yet is because he wants more souls saved. But the Bible tells us to live alert. The Bible says he's coming like a thief in the night. He's coming at an hour you don't expect, so you should always live, amen, with an expectancy of his coming. And live that way. Live ready. Live prepared. 
<clears throat> you need to live prepared. I, I, I have so much more to teach, but I, I'm going to start bringing it down. I, there's so much more. But I want to just touch this. This came to my spirit. I want to say this. I, listen to me, friend. I'm not just coming here just to just preach a message and want it to go one year after the other. I'm praying that this leaves a lasting impact in your life that you will forever be changed. And so listen to me. If, if, if we knew Jesus would come back tomorrow, it would change how we live, wouldn't it? I want you to think about it. What would you change if you, if you knew he was coming back tomorrow? What would be some things you'd change? Let me, say, let me throw this out there. Let me just put some more things in real perspective. Listen to me. If... You died when you were 80 years old. Let's just say you lived till you're 80. That's a pretty good life, right? 80 years old. I want you to think about right now how many more years that is until you die. Okay? Just think about it. So let's just say if you're 20, that means within 60 years, you're going to stand before the Lord. If you're 50, you have 30 more years to stand before the Lord. If you're 65, 15. If you're 70, 10. If you're 75, just imagine in five years, you're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for your whole entire life. And what happens there will determine where you spend eternity. Now think about this. Think about this. So, but what if he comes before that? Now, that means Within 60 years, either we're going to him or he's coming to us. Oh, come on now. Listen to me, friend. I guarantee you, everyone in this room, within 70 years, I'm giving 70. You might live to your old, 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 old. But listen to me. Within 70 years or less, you're either going to him Oh, he's coming to you. Are you ready? Now, the good news for believers is that we don't have to worry about his coming. That's why it's called the blessed hope. Because we're secure in him. The believer's judgment, so there's two different judgments. Is it okay if I go for a couple minutes, Pastor? There's, there's, there's two judgments the Bible talks about. The believer's judgment, which is the beam of seat of Christ. And, we're, and at that judgment, believers, listen to me, are not judged for sin. The believer's judgment for sin was taken care of at the cross. Hear that. The judgment for sin for a believer, the moment you said yes to Jesus, the moment you received him in your heart as your Lord and Savior, the judgment for your sin Amen. Was, it, it, Jesus already paid for it, so now he's able to offer you free gift of salvation. So your judgment was already taken care of at the cross for, as a believer. But if you're not a believer, there's called the great white throne judgment, which Revelation chapter 20 talks about. And the Bible talks about, amen, at that judgment, all whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. Hear me. So if we... Live with Christ, we, if we receive Christ in our hearts as our Lord and Savior and walk with Christ here on earth and die with Christ, then we'll be with him forever. If we reject Christ while here on earth and die, 
physically without Christ will go off into eternity without Christ. Our relationship with Christ here determines our relationship with him for all eternity. That is more important than anything you could ever hear. And so I have to ask you, again, I'm cutting this message way down to an end. Close. I mean, real short. How's your walk? How's your relationship? Is he your Lord? Or are you just coming to church? I'm not trying to be mean. I love you enough to tell you the truth. The Bible talks about the wheat and the tear growing together. The Bible talks about sheep and goat. That's a reality. We can learn Christianese. How you doing? I'm blessed, brother, blessed. Too good. I'm too blessed to be stressed. Too anointed to be disappointed. I'm good, man. How are you? I can sing the songs. I can lift my hands. I can pay my tithes. I can go on outreaches. I can look it. I can smell it. I can do it all. The Pharisees did it all. But he said, you're of your father, the devil. He called them hypocrites. I touched this on Friday night. Hypocrite is a, if you study this word hypocrite, it means a play actor. Actors. We don't want to be actors. Some can win Grammys in church. 